Thank you, Sarah, for leading us in the team. Um, just as I was sitting here this morning, I was reminded of the incredible practicalness, the practicality of actually coming to church and, and being reminded again of what life is to be about and, and recalibrating really our priorities in many ways. Um, earlier this week, I had coffee, uh, lunch actually, with a gentleman who, who loves Jesus, but he's not attending church anywhere. And, and I just thought, you know, as we talked, that he's missing out on that sense of, of family, that sense of um, having a place where you're rooted. And Willow Park Church is so important to me. Uh, I, I travel for a living. I, I oversee about 50 churches in Western Canada for a small denomination, and, and my wife and I call Willow Park home. And, and so for me, it's so important that I have this place that I belong, and, and I know that I'm rooted in and, and part of the family. And so it's just good to be here in the South. We traditionally worship at uh, 33, but now that you have Starbucks coffee, I'm thinking about changing. And so uh, I'll put some prayer into that and see or not, or maybe I'll go and talk to Pastor Phil and see if he can get some stuff at Willow, South, or Willow 33. And, uh, but Starbucks is great. I appreciate it very much. I enjoyed it this morning. Um, do pray for Pastor Glenn as he's off with the youth and not in his traditional role here. And so uh, pray for the youth maybe as well. Um, <laughs> so... I was visiting with a pastor friend of mine uh, as I was traveling recently, and he was telling me how he has a bunch of kids coming from, the, he's in a small town in Saskatchewan, and they have lots of community kids who don't come to church, and so they show up for youth on Thursday nights, and uh, he was telling me about how he was kind of going over the story of Jesus, you know, the birth as they're anticipating coming up to Christmas, and then the life of Jesus, and of course then the, the time when they hung Jesus on the cross, and, and then they put him into the grave, and, and then he rose again and came out of the grave, and as he did this, this 12-year-old girl who has no church back ground and she bolts out of her chair and she says you mean to tell me that jesus is a zombie so the walking dead is their culture and their understanding of life and so i was thinking for pastor glenn as he gets there this morning maybe he'll have some great questions that he can answer as well but um we never know uh, we live in a day and age when the story of jesus may be normal to us but it's not normal to lots of people they don't know and so this morning we'll remind ourselves as we look into luke chapter one and unpack some things regarding Christmas this morning. But let's pray together, and then we'll uh, read, this, go through some uh, introductory comments, and then we'll read the scripture, and then we'll go into our message this morning. Father, we do thank you for this time of year, this reminder of how you stepped in, in a most unusual way. And Lord, as we open up Luke 1 and, and unpack the story of Mary and Joseph and May there be some lessons here for us, God, that are practical and, and have implications and applications for us. Um, if we call ourselves followers of Christ or whether we're just wondering what this is all about and we come seeking, wherever we're at in our journey, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would speak to us this day in a way that only you can, God, because you are God. And so we trust you and we thank you. And we look forward to this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Perhaps if we had time to, to go around and, and just simply ask the question, when we use the word Christmas, when we say the word Christmas, what would be the first mental image that would come to mind, that would jump into your thoughts when we say that word Christmas? And, and I suspect that it would be part of a, a cross-section of thoughts and ideas. Now for maybe perhaps a certain number of us, it would be a very positive thing. 
It would be something that goes back into our own personal history, that our family background, when we always enjoyed getting together as a family over the holiday season. And, and maybe we have a blessing, and that blessing of having a, a long tradition of Christian family a life that um, we know what the story's all about, and we celebrate that wholeheartedly. And so we look and we say, yeah, that would be a, a great thing. There haven't been very many negative intruders into our Christmas joy, and so if you're in that category this morning then be thankful for the blessing that is yours. For others, it may be that as soon as we use that word Christmas, negative thoughts come up to mind. Negative mental images. Our Christmas has always perhaps been a bit of a gong show. Nothing ever seems to quite go right. Perhaps we have family, but that family doesn't necessarily share the same belief that we share. And so it makes us a struggle. Uh, maybe for others, there's, there's always been that alcoholic celebration of Christmas where it's, it's that drunken part of the party that becomes part and parcel of our normal gatherings that may be memorable, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Perhaps we have estranged children or parents who openly choose not to be with us because of the very reason for the seasons. And perhaps it's just that no matter how hard we try, we just can't get Christmas right. And so again, we look at that word Christmas and it doesn't necessarily jump out with a positive feeling, positive impact. But others, you know, it's just Christmas is flat out painful. I'm part of a staff team that goes across the country and and once a month we have a staff meeting. And this past week on Tuesday we had a staff gathering. There were seven of us uh, video conferencing across the land and um, we were sharing prayer requests and and, uh, um, things regarding the upcoming days just before Christmas. And it was interesting that out of seven staff members, there were six of us who were sharing things of a more painful nature. And one staff person at the end said, I, I don't have anything negative to share today. I'm just looking forward to my kids coming home and I'm looking forward to the celebration of Christmas. And, and I was struck by the fact that out of seven staff people from across the country, there was only one who said, it's, it's all good right now. Where are we at? There are countless numbers of people who simply grieve through the month of December. People who don't have the perfect family or the perfect marriage or the perfect bank account. And depression becomes part and parcel of their journey companion for these days. It's a a time of year to to simply be endured, not to be celebrated. And lastly, there are many people who just don't see Christmas as necessarily hurtful or painful. It's not even really a, a, a big thing from their perspective. It's just that it's not perfect. In fact, with truth be told, it's just one of those messy times of year. Things just don't quite go right. Can't get the right gift, and, and certain people can't make the dinner party that you had planned, and, and the meals end up being less than ideal, and life just sort of gets messy at this time of the year. Well, for all of us who understand this idea or this picture of Christmas being messy, I really do have good news for you this morning. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, because the story at the very beginning of of our understanding of Christmas is a messy story. It's not the Christmas card story. It's not even the the Christmas movie story where, you know, you kind of start off with some kind of a bit of a thing that's going on and then things go awry and then there's always a a hopeful end to it and you rejoice at the end. Well, this first Christmas was kind of a, a mess in a variety of different ways. We discover that Mary and Joseph's lives are about to get messy, not because of anything that they had done or intended to do, but just because God all of a sudden decided that things were going to get messy. Two young Jewish people about to do what countless others had done before them, they were going to get married, and it was a simple plan 
But let's follow the story and see it perhaps with different eyes this morning to hear how God did things differently. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 26 in our Bibles and just follow along in the story. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So far, everything's pretty normal. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now starting to get a little unnormal. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary replied. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. And the messiness gets worse. Let me just point out a few lessons, I think, that are helpful at this time of the year if we're going through Christmas and maybe it's just not the idyllic scenario that we would like it to be. Number one, our plans are best submitted to God's timing and God's plans, okay? So the first lesson, really, from a life perspective is that our plans are always best submitted to God's timing and God's plans. We know the story if we spend any time in church at all, and if you're new, then just listen along and you'll hear the story as well, that Mary was just simply a good Jewish girl. There was nothing that you would walk down a street at all and, and find outstanding about this young girl. She was normal and routine as could be. And we know this because the scriptures say that she was a virgin girl and that she was pledged to be married to Joseph and it was part of a master plan that was going on. Mary was living life the way it was supposed to be lived in her day. You grew up. You found the right mate. You pledged each other to a, to a, a life of being together in marriage. You got married. You had children. And you carried the tradition on again and again. So we can easily say, out of the scripture that we see here in Luke chapter 1, that Mary had plans, and we can also say very clearly that they weren't bad plans. Okay? Mary had plans, and they weren't bad plans. She planned to get married. It was normal. There was nothing wrong with it. And we also know, according to the story, that God was not upset or disappointed with Mary in any way. In fact, we'll see how God felt just the opposite about Mary in just a moment. He was abundantly pleased with this young Jewish virgin. And so there's nothing wrong with making plans for our lives today. And, and so the key here is, is to understand, in the midst of it, what's going on, that, that plans are okay, but there's a lesson here as well in the midst of our plans. The key is how do we handle things when our plans do not work out the way that we had planned for them to work out? Because that's Mary's story. You see, in the midst of Mary's plan things got messy. She's living her life. And it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel in Nazareth to a town in Galilee to this young lady, Mary, who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And all of this was part and parcel of just the plans that they put together. 
And the angel went to her and she said, said to, the, uh, to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Interesting. Mary's plans, all of a sudden coming into convergence with God's plans. What was going on in Mary's life beyond just her plan to be married? Well, in the midst of Mary's plans, things were really messy, really, at that point in history because these people were suffering under the oppression of Rome. And so life wasn't easy necessarily for them. They had learned to adopt to it or to adapt to it and and, and to live within the midst of it. But it wasn't idyllic in many ways. It wasn't the Christmas card picture that we would like to have. The other reality is that for a long time, this nation of Israel had been waiting to hear something new from God. Scholars tell us that from the time that the Old Testament is closed until we start looking at what's going on here in the New Testament. There's around 400 years where there had been silence from God. No new messages. No prophet standing up and saying to the people, I've got a message from God. We need to hear this. We need to know this. Silence. Not a good silence. Year after year, decade after decade, hundreds after hundreds of years, of God not saying anything to the nation new. And then he shows up to talk to an old priestly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And their lives were messy because they had not been able to have a child which was their heart's desire of every Jewish couple at that point in time in history. They were living with the silent grief of childlessness. They were connected to Mary. They were relatives And so this relative of Mary's has her life totally changed in a way that most people would be happy with in that we hear in the story that Elizabeth becomes pregnant and her husband actually, because of his lack of faith in the midst of it, is actually silent for the entire process of their pregnancy. So perhaps for some, that would be ideal. I'm pregnant and my husband can't say a word. I'm not sure. But now it's Mary's turn, after all these years of silence, that God shows up with her relative and now herself, and plans are now altered in a significant way. In fact, for a little Jewish girl, her plans get real messed up. So our plans are best submitted to God's timing and God's plans, but that's not always easy, is it? You see, sometimes, here's the second lesson. Sometimes when God is at work, life really does get messy. Let's pick up the story in verse 29 as we see the angel come and and meet with Mary and and what's going to happen at this point forward. It says in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, the angel's words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now remember, you've got to put it all into context. She's just a normal Jewish girl. This does not happen. It's never happened to her before. She's living her life in a righteous kind of way, as we're going to see in just a moment. And God's been silent for a long time. It says, but the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In other words, there's nothing that you're doing, Mary, that God's upset with. Your plans aren't bad plans, Mary, but your plans are going to change. Number Verse 31, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now just think about that for a moment. We have a hard time, even in our best imagination, to be able to transport back and think through, how did this affect Mary? 
as I said, she was just a normal Jewish girl. She had good plans. She was betrothed to Joseph. They were going to have a family. They were going to grow together to be old and have children, and it was going to be good. But it's also all going to change. Mary's plans and God's plans were not identical to start with. As that angel steps into Mary's life, things begin to significantly change. Now, I suspect for many of us here who would call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, that theoretically and idealistically, most of us as Christians would want God's will to be our will for our lives. We know that that's the correct answer. That I'm supposed to desire God's will for my life. That's a good thing. However, if we're really, really honest, I suspect that most of us want our plans to be God's plans for our lives. Now think about that. What's the difference between wanting God's will for our life and wanting my plan to be God's plan for my life? It's quite significantly different. We would like God to come alongside of us and bless whatever it is that we've already planned ahead of time to do. This is good, God. I've got this plan made. And I just want your plan to be my plan. And so you come alongside of my plan and this will be all great. But that's not the story of Mary and Joseph. We want God's will so often when it lines up with our will for our lives, but that didn't work for Mary, did it? Mary had plans, and they weren't bad plans, but those plans didn't line up as we see the story unfold with God's plans. God was about to do things in the wrong order for little Jewish girls. Mary was engaged, betrothed. It was a solid at that point in time in history as a marriage because as we read the story about Joseph and Matthew we read that he was going to divorce her quietly because that's what a betrothal actually meant that they were engaged in the sense of it being a marriage and so if you turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and see how Joseph's life is now part of the story as well we see that in the midst of this engagement period God tells her that she is about to become pregnant Now, there is no doubt at all in Mary's plan for her life that she planned to get pregnant at some point in time. That was her plan. But there's a process and an order to this that is right for her. The order would be, continue through with the betrothal with Joseph, have the official marriage, get married, have children. But God's plans were different. Why? Why were God's plans different from Mary's plans? I don't know the answer to that question. I just know that biblically, the plans are different. Another indication of how strongly they were different was Joseph's response in Matthew chapter 1. We'll pick up the story of Joseph getting the news about what has happened here to his betrothal, to his young girl that he has pledged himself to, Mary. It says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're simply telling us in the story here that this was out of order, not the way it was supposed to be done. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, so this is good news, 
He was a good guy. He was a follower of God. Because he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Notice the strength of the words. It's because it was a betrothal. And so, in other words, they were like already seen from their understanding of marriage to be married to one another. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Wow. Here's Joseph, who the scriptures say is a righteous man, who gets a message that his wife, from his perspective, has messed up. She's expecting. And he knows himself that he had nothing to do with it. And God says, don't worry. This is all part of my plan. And so it says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, mind-boggling, can't understand it, totally messy, messes up his life, can't be normal in any sense of the word. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Again, mind-boggling for Joseph, mind-boggling for Mary. None of this is doing, going in the right order. So what God says in his word about Joseph is that he was a righteous man. Due to Joseph living right in the eyes of God, Joseph himself knew that this was not the right order. He had not been part of anything to do with Mary's pregnancy, and so he's going to quietly divorce her because Mary had not waited to do things in the right order. So Mary's life got messy when the angel showed up and said, this is what's going to happen. Joseph's life got messy when the angel showed up and told Joseph. And so what happens? Well, we carry on reading what God says to Joseph. And so he tells her in verse 21, it tells Joseph in verse 21 of Matthew 1, he said that your Mary is going to give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. This is mind-boggling information. Verse 22, and all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now we're going back in time. He says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So verse 24 tells us more about Joseph. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus as he was told to. Wow. Mary's life got messy. Joseph's life got messy. God is intimately involved in each of their journeys. But notice that even when Joseph's life got messy, as we are told in Matthew chapter 1, because God had messed up the order, Joseph still acted righteously. He listened to what God had said. Okay, this is your plan, not mine. I'm now engaged in this process, though. And so I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to follow through on the plan that Mary and I had to get married. I'm going to act righteously in this process. I'm not going to have anything to do with her until she gives birth to this child. Joseph acts righteously. So he here is that when life gets messy, what we need to be doing is to keep on doing the right thing in the midst of the messiness. Joseph obeyed God. Joseph took Mary home to be his wife. Joseph had no union with her until they were married, and Joseph did the right thing in the process. Wow. 
How could this happen? Because you see, God, I've been doing the right thing. I've been faithful to you. I've not yielded to any of the temptations of life. I have been faithful to you. So how could this ever happen? And it's God's messiness. As we were having staff meeting this week, one of our staff members told about a lady whose life had been turned upside down because she'd lost her daughter in a drunk driving accident where her daughter was hit by a drunk driver and killed. And so this woman is in her 70s and her husband has already passed away and so this Christmas is not going to be the plan that she had. This Christmas things have gotten really messy for her. This Christmas is painful and heartbreaking and and all kinds of things that she did not arrange and, and yet God's there in the midst of it somehow. How? Well, this lady went to our friend Sue and said, you know, I, I realize that there's probably other people in the same situation that I'm in. Their lives are broken like mine. And so on Christmas Day, what I've got is, I've got a table that'll seat eight. And so if you can find seven other people who are alone this Christmas, I'll host them for dinner myself at my house. In the midst of her brokenness, what's she doing? Is she sitting back and saying, "Uh, this isn't fair, this isn't what I wanted, this is too messy, I don't like it? No, in the midst of it, she said, I want to follow through and do something to help somebody else in the midst of their mess. I thought it was incredible how she didn't allow her circumstances to dictate how she was going to live her life at this point in time. She was going to live life differently in the midst of those circumstances and say, I'm going to help somebody else who's struggling as well. So this season, this Christmas, it could be that life is messy for you. Here's the lesson. Follow the model of Mary and Joseph and just keep on doing the right thing, which leads us to our last lesson. The key in the mess is to focus on the God of the impossible that Mary so clearly met in her conversation with the angel. Verse 34 of Luke chapter 1, Mary asks the question. She's a good Jewish girl. And she says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Now here's the lesson. The angel looks at Joseph, or looks at Mary, and it's like he knew the question was coming, how could this be? And he wants to remind Mary, Mary, you're dealing with someone who is so much bigger than you and I. And and the angel says to her, Mary, don't ever ever forget, nothing is impossible with God. The angel has come from heaven. He's got this inside information that, that he shares with Mary that Mary needs to be reminded of. If we back it up to verse 31 and we remember that the angel had said to Mary, you're going to give him the name Jesus. And ever since those words were spoken and that message was given to both Mary and Joseph that he's going to be given the name Jesus, that name Jesus has been uttered by countless thousands and millions of people looking for hope. It's the name Jesus that tells us that this world is not all that there is. That regardless if I have a Christmas card, Christmas coming or not, that Jesus is bigger than all of it. 
that Jesus is greater and more significant than everything else that is going on, that Jesus is the hope. And that when life takes that wrong turn and, and pain comes our way and things are not in the right order that we would like them to be, we call out to the only one who can make sense in the midst of our mess and we simply whisper that name, Jesus. The angel knew because he had come from the perfection of heaven to the messiness of earth. And he said to Mary, call him Jesus. He'll be called the son of the most high God. And, the Mary, and then the, Joseph, or the angel reminds Mary that God is at work all over the place. Elizabeth's life has just been, in many ways, recalibrated because she had been childless for so long and that God was at work now in her life. And Mary's going to go and meet her if we keep on reading the story in just a little while. And it's good in our own lives to look up out of the own, our own mess and realize that there's a God who is in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on and he's very much alive and he's very much at work. And Mary, you need to know something. Nothing is impossible with God. And maybe today, that's simply the verse of Scripture that you came here for today. That out of the schedule of your life, that this is the one thing that God wants you to be reminded of this Christmas season, that there is nothing impossible with God. That word of hope is perhaps why you are here today. To know that He is good and He is at work. The question, however, is what is our response to that news? Mary shows us the best possible response. The only right response in the midst of the mess. Where Mary submits her life afresh and readjusts her plans to say, okay, God, this is your plan, not mine, but I'm going to give my plan over to you the most incredible words of the Christmas story. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This isn't Mary asking God to bless her plans. This is Mary taking her plans and resubmitting them to say, God, I'm yours. You do what you want. This past fall, I had the opportunity to be in Red Deer and I stay with family there and they go to a church called Crossroads in Red Deer and and so when I finished up my day and get to their place, it's usually late on a Sunday afternoon, and, and they let me stay there overnight. And so they go to this church on Sunday night. And so I get the privilege of attending with them on Sunday evenings, which is great for me because I have no responsibility, and it's just I get to go and sit and drink in from what God is doing in that place. So this fall, as I was there, they were interviewing the children's ministry pastor. And they were asking her, why is children's ministry so important here at our church? And, and they said, can you give us a story as to why it's so significant? And, and the children's ministry pastor said, yeah, I, I can. It right out of my own life. She said, you see, at our children's ministry, every Sunday what we have is at the end of the class for all the different ages that we take kids through and stuff is that we have what we call ponder points. And so at the end of the lesson, we send one point home with the children for them to think about and ponder that week. And she says, so this past week I was in my minivan driving and, and I look in the back seat and I got my four-year-old back there in her car seat and she's strapped in and, and I'm driving and everything's just regular and normal. And, and I look back and all of a sudden she's got her hands folded and her head bowed. 
And I'm thinking, she's praying. And she says, uh, this wasn't necessarily normal. And so when she was done, I just said to her, hey, hey honey, what were, you, what were you praying about? And she says, well, I was just praying the prayer that we had told in, uh, in Sunday school this week that we were supposed to be pondering and, and thinking about. And she thought, okay, the teacher there is doing a good job. And so what's the prayer? What's the ponder point? And, and the little girl says, well, we just went through the story of, of Mary and Joseph. And so I was just praying as I've been doing every day, Mom. And I've been saying, okay, God, I'm your servant. You do what you want with my life. And she says, I'm blown away by this. That here's my four-year-old in the back of my minivan who's praying and saying, God, I'm your servant. You do what you want with my life. And she says, so I'm kind of smiling inwardly. And I'm thinking, this is great. And I get to a stoplight. And, and all of a sudden, my four-year-old says, Mom, can I ask you a question? And she says, certainly, honey. What would you like to ask? And she says, Mom, do you pray that prayer? And she says, tears began to fall down my face at the reminder from a four-year-old of the biblical truth that I need to keep on recalibrating and resubmitting my life and saying, God, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. This Christmas, do you need to recalibrate your plans and your dreams and your Christmas season to say to our Father this day, I'm your servant. May it be to me as you have planned and said. Sarah.